I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. And you can find that on page 811 in the Bibles around you. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we as we come to the Lord's Prayer once again, we we just recognize that uh, we, we, we don't want the Lord's Prayer to just be an empty phrase that we just heap up to you. But Lord, we want to fill the, this, uh, this, this, this prayer and, and, and every single petition, we want to fill it with, with, with rich meaning from your word. And so I ask, Lord, that, that, uh, that your will would be done in this service. Lord, that your will would be known, that your will would be remembered, that we would remember, O oh Christ, that you did the will of God. And then, Lord, I, I pray that by your Spirit's power that we would then be able to do your will. So we pray this all uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is able to do all things. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Strong-willed. Strong-willed. Have you ever been described that way or... Or have you do you know anybody in particular that can be described as as strong-willed? Uh, now that that little uh, description, it's uh, it's kind of the simplistic G-rated description of someone who who regularly exhibits the following characteristics. Uh, they have uh, big emotions for all the world to hear, demanding to know why after every instruction. Uh, stubborn arguing, yeah, they're, they're, they're great at debating, great at finding loopholes, and, and, and for finding exceptions to their particular case. Bossiness, impatience, refusing to comply, and that this often results in, in others nagging them, begging them, uh, repeating themselves a million times, and, and perhaps even resorting to bribing. Uh, making their own rules. Entitlement, selective hearing, and moving at their own pace. 
Now, maybe this describes a special someone that you know in your life. Maybe, maybe this describes you. Now, obviously, being strong-willed, has, is, is, it's full of very positive traits. There's lots of leadership traits, you know, especially for when, when, when children grow up. But as one parent put it, one day I'll be thankful that my child is so strong-willed. Today is not that day. <laughs> well, today I want to posit to you that God only has strong-willed children. <laughs> we are his strong-willed children, and, and yeah, boy, do we give it to him some days. We, too, get angry when things don't go our way. We ask why to God quite a bit before we obey. Uh, we're great at debating with God and, and, and finding exceptions to his commands. We're impatient. Uh, we, 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 we sometimes act entitled to a pain-free life. And we make up our own rules for life. And then we expect other people to follow them. We have selective hearing, don't we? There's, there's certain passages in Scripture that, that we really like, and then there's others that we just kind of ignore. We, uh, we, we move at our own pace with our obedience. Yes, we are God's strong-willed children, but God is a good and loving Father, and He has he, he not given up on us. He is patiently transforming our hearts from, from living for, for our, our, our names our kingdoms and our wills to living for his name, for his kingdom and for his will. So today we're going to consider the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to see how God changes our hearts from, uh, from, from, from singing this anthem of my will be done to singing God's praises of thy will be done. First we're going to consider how we are to pray that God's will might be known. So what, what is God's will? And how, how, how is it important that we know God's will in order, that, in order that we might do His will? And second, we'll be, we will remember that God's will was done. Past tense. It was done. It was accomplished by Christ. And finally, building off of the gospel, we're going to consider how we are to pray with this gospel hope that God's will might be done today and in the future. So that's where we're going today. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that this phrase, uh, your will be done, it, it really flows. It flows out of the first two petitions. The first petition, that's, that's the whole purpose. That's the end for which God created the whole world. That's the, that's the very goal, the, very, the, the main reason why God chose to create the whole universe to, to begin with. That His name might be glorified. So in our prayers for God's kingdom to come and for His will to be done, we're, we're praying for the means by which His name is going to be glorified. And as God's kingdom comes and as His will is done... His name then is known and believed upon and worshipped and glorified above all other names. Now as we begin to explore this vast mountain range called the Lord's Prayer, let's remember that, that first and foremost, this, this, is, this is a prayer for God to act. It's a prayer for God to act. 
And yes, you know, as we pray this prayer, we see how we are to act and how, how we are to hollow God's name and, and to, to advance His kingdom and to do His will. But our focus, our focus is primarily in how God will act. How God will glorify His name. How God will increase and build His kingdom. And how God will make it possible for His will to be done. So God is the subject today. We are on our knees looking to Him to accomplish His will. He is our only hope. Let's parachute down onto this mountain called Your Will Be Done. and, And let's begin to explore it. So first... When we pray, your will be done, we are praying that God's will might be known. That it might be known. Now, we can't do God's will unless we know God's will. So what is God's will? As we read the Bible, we, we see two things about God's will. We see, first of all, that it's, it's, it's unified. God's will is consistent and, and, and it doesn't change. It's one will. And another thing that we observe is that there are two different aspects to God's will. Two different aspects. There is God's secret will, and then there is God's revealed will. Secret will and His revealed will. Now one verse that articulates both of these is Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So God has a secret will, and that secret will belongs to Him and Him alone. And then we also see in the second half of this verse that God has a revealed will. He has revealed and commanded His will, His law for our lives. So we're, we're going to look at these two wills Uh, more in depth here because our prayer of your will be done that refers to both God's secret will and God's revealed will. So let's first consider God's secret will. Some have also called God's secret will His will of decree. His will of decree because God has sovereignly decreed all that comes to pass. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. The decrees of God are His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So this doctrine of God's sovereignty over all of human history, we see it throughout throughout Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1 is one of those great examples. And in verses 4 and 5, and, and as, you, as we read this, you'll kind of hear the same similar language that was used for the, the, the Shorter Catechism. In verses 4 and 5 it says, "...that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will." So God, according to the purpose of His secret will, He chose us to be saved and adopted. Before the foundation of the world, before God created anything, He predestined us. Then in verse 11 it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God is supreme. Now this might blow our minds a little bit. It's, it's really hard for us to comprehend it. I mean, we can't fully comprehend it. So there's, we, we can begin to understand why this is a part of God's secret will, why, why there's a, a degree of mystery to it. Now this aspect of God's will cannot be thwarted or resisted. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. He does all that He pleases. Now, it's not saying our God is in the heavens and whatever he, He's just pleased with whatever He does. But rather, it says that whatever He pleases, whatever He desires, whatever He wills, He does it. He's unhindered. None can resist. So in light, of, in light of God's sovereignty, we begin to think about ourselves and how we fit into all that with our wills. And, and so Romans 9 uh, tackles this really tough uh, doctrine. And, and Romans 9 famously, famously asks this question. Well, who can, re- who can resist his will? If God is sovereign, who can resist his will? And the implied answer to the text is, well, no one. God is the potter. And we are the clay. Job is a he, he's a he's a great example of this. Uh, he um, his life was turned upside down in in, in in every every aspect of his life. And and uh, and then when God revealed Himself to Job at the end of the book of Job, uh, Job is just completely humbled. He he he. he he, uh, he hears from God about, about God's sovereignty and, and he's humbled. And so Job says simply, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God's can be thwarted. Then we also see in the book of Daniel that King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the great and wicked king of Babylon, uh, the, the most powerful man on the earth at that time, he was humbled by God himself. And after God humbled him, the Nebuchadnezzar exalted God's secret and sovereign will, saying, God does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar rightly points out that, that God does his will in heaven and God does His will on earth, and none can stay His hand. So in light of God's secret will, in light of, in light of God's supreme sovereignty over all things, James, the brother of Jesus, in uh, chapter 4 of his book, James instructs us on how, how we are to live then, and, and says that we are to make our plans for the future in light of God's sovereignty. And, and we are, in, in life, when we make plans, we should say, if the Lord wills. So if the Lord wills, we will go to lunch after this. If the, if the Lord wills, uh, you'll get married someday. If the Lord wills, you'll, 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 you'll go to college someday. If, if the Lord wills, uh, you'll, you'll live to be 80, 90, 100. Uh, 
God's work in time and in space and throughout history, it's called His providence. His providence. He ordains, by His providence, He ordains the good and the evil. So when we think of God's secret will, we are to remember that God is providentially working all things and that, that God has He's ordinarily not revealed His secret providence. He's ordinarily not revealed his, his, his plans and His purposes for our lives and for the course of human history. So that in summary is, is God's secret will or His will of decree. Next we have God's revealed will. His revealed will. His revealed will, it's also described by theologians as, as His will of command or His preceptive will. God has revealed His will to us in His Word, in the Bible. God has required for us to live holy, as He is holy. And so He reveals His commands for us to live by. So now God's rule of obedience, the rules of holiness that we are to live by, they're summarized in the Ten Commandments given to Moses at Mount Sinai. In the Reformed tradition, we call uh, these Ten Commandments, we call them God's moral law. And throughout the Bible, when, when God gave, gives His moral law, it's often accompanied with this conditional promise to do this and you will live. If you do this, you will live. So if God's people were to obey His holy law with all their heart and not turn to the right or to the left, then they would live. Perfect obedience would grant them the right to eternal life. A holy being with no blemish has no reason to die or to be punished and every reason and right to live before God. However, as we know, that didn't happen and never will happen because of our utter sinfulness. All of God's moral commands flow out of these Ten Commandments. So any sin that you can think of, any, any sin can be categorized as breaking one or a few of the Ten Commandments. And any good work that we're commanded to do, any good thing that we are to do, that too can be categorized in one or a few of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are just, they're, they're, they're so profound in how they speak to all that God has required for us uh, in, in the Christian life. Uh, both what God has, has, uh, has told us not to do and also uh, for how God has positively told us to live. So just like the Lord's Prayer, the, the Ten Commandments, they, they really are a mount, vast mountain range uh, of its own and, and, uh, and, 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 and it's just filled with meaning and endless exploration. If you want to know God's will for your life, what His revealed will is and what He's commanded of you, what He's required of you, how you are to live the Christian life, then explore the Ten Commandments. If you want just this really deep dive into the significance of each command, I, um, I, I'd recommend reading, going to the Westminster Larger Catechism on the law. Now, I know that that portion of the Westminster Larger Catechism, it's, it's long. Those are some long questions, question answers. Don't try to memorize them. Maybe some of you are gifted that way, but that's, that's, it's beyond me to, to, try to, to try to memorize that. But what you see is this expansive, 
You, you see how expansive uh, the application of, of the Ten Commandments, how, how, how far out they go and, 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 and all that is required of us. And, and it can really start to fill out um, uh, what, what different sins there are and, and also how God has, has called us to live, how we are called to love Him and how we are called to love our neighbor. So it's personally been, been helpful for me to see my own sin and, and uh, that I hadn't even seen before. Categories of new sins that, that I, I, didn't, I didn't even know existed. As we saw earlier in our time of confession and assurance, Jesus summarized the whole law. He, the, the whole law, including all of the Ten Commandments, he, he summarized it into the two commands, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love fulfills the whole law. God's revealed will is His word. And His specific rules for our life can be found in, in the Ten Commandments and summarized in, in uh, love for God and neighbor. Now we must know, this is really important, we must know that God's revealed will includes not only just the, the do's and don'ts of life, but also the areas of life that God has left up to our own conscience. God has given us Christian liberties. There is not a law for everything. We are free to live how we so desire in many aspects of life. We are free to use wisdom and love to decide things uh, you know, such as you know, if we are to get married or not, or, or what schooling we decide to do for our children, what clothes we put on for the day, what food we eat, what car we drive, how we rest and play, what we name our children, where we decide to live, what education and jobs we uh, are, are to pursue. There's just so many areas of Christian liberty that God has not given us laws for. We are free. It's so important, brothers and sisters, that, that we know what God's law is because then we can know where there is freedom of conscience. We can't know one without the other. So, without knowing the boundaries of the law, we will never know when our Christian liberties begin and when they end. Some of you here today may be uh, living your life as, as uh, uh, living your life in a certain ways that you think God has commanded you, and, and, and when it's, God has actually just left that up to your own personal conscience. And uh, and the others, other Christians in your life, are actually not sinning when they're not living like you. So it's so important that we begin to see where where God's law ends and where Christian liberties begin. So when we pray, your will be done, we are in essence praying, we're just praying so many things when we pray that, but in essence we're praying against the traditions of man, the things that people say, oh, these are God's rules, but they're actually not. We're praying against legalism. We're praying against lawlessness, just to completely, just to completely throw away the Ten Commandments, to throw away the laws of God. And we're also praying that Christians would know and enjoy in peace the freedoms that we have in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 summarizes God's revealed will for us, saying, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What's God's will for your life? 
pure sanctification. The goal of all of God's revealed will is for you to grow in holiness, to grow into the likeness of your Heavenly Father. That's God's will for your life. Now, unlike God's secret will, God's revealed will can be and is daily resisted by us. We quench the Holy Spirit. We disobey His law. And that is sin. And so we do not deserve to live forever with God in heaven, but rather to be punished eternally in hell for our rebellion. Without Jesus Christ making you a new creation, your will is only living for your will. Your will is in bondage to sin. It is not free. A verse that really articulates well the bondage of our wills before Christ is uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So it doesn't just simply say that it doesn't submit to God's law. It goes so far to say it cannot submit to God's law. So those who are living in the flesh, those who are only can live by the sinful nature because they don't have God's Holy Spirit within them, their will is only living for their will. They are bound in sin. So before Christ, our will had an incurable problem. It could not submit to God's law at all. We could not do God's will. The, 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 the prognosis was hopeless. But that's where God comes in, right? That's why there's good news. And remember, God is the subject of this sermon. He is the one who acts because we are helpless. He is the one who accomplishes His will being done. And He did that by sending His Son Jesus to do His will. To do all of His will that He had planned before the creation of the world. To live, to suffer, to be handed over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified and buried, and to resurrect on the third day. Jesus did all of his Father's will, even all of his revealed will. Jesus lived a sinless life, perfectly obeying the Ten Commandments, loving God with, with his whole self, and loving his neighbor, neighbor, even to the point of selflessly dying. Before we are to consider how we are to do God's will, brothers and sisters, we are to remember that God's will was done. God's will was accomplished by Christ. It was finished. And after Christ ascended into heaven, Jesus sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that His law would be written on our hearts and so that we could have the power to obey His will. So far we've looked at what God's will is. His secret will and His revealed will. And we've also seen how sinful our wills are and that, that, that we don't, by, by nature, we do not submit to God's will. We don't obey God's will apart from God's Holy Spirit. And we've heard the good news that God has cured us of our incurable disease of sin. Now all that we've 
covered so far, this has all been essential foundation for what we're going to build next. Let's now consider how we are to pray with gospel hope that God's will might be done. Because of the foundation that we've laid, we can be confident that when we pray, God can act with His Spirit to turn our wills and and, and the wills of other people from, from disobeying His will to obeying His will. This is where we have hope. We can actually have hope. This isn't just going to be this pump-up sermon to, to all y'all about just, all right, guys, you can do it. You can do God's will. Go do it. Go do it. But instead, we come and we can find hope in the Holy Spirit by the gospel that we can do His will. So let's build off of that foundation. There are two ways that God works by His Spirit so that we do His will. God's Spirit empowers us to obey His revealed will, and God's Spirit empowers us to submit to His secret will. Obey and submit. Let's first look at at obeying God's will by the Spirit. Praying, your will be done. It's, It's like some of the prayers that you find in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, that's the biggest chapter in the whole Bible. And in there, in verses 32 through 36 in particular, uh, when you read it, you see that these are just different ways of saying, your will be done. They are prayers for God to act so that we can obey. For God to act so that we can obey. So uh, let me read to you uh, these, these prayers here. Verses 32 through 36, it says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. These are just other ways of praying, Your will be done. These are prayers for God to change our wills so that we might obey God's law. So I highly recommend memorizing some of these prayers in in, in Psalm 119 and, and, and praying them regularly. God can enlarge our hearts. He can teach us. He can... Give us understanding. He can lead us. He can incline our hearts away from selfishness. We have hope. By the power of His Holy Spirit, we have hope. Philippians 2.13 also gives this exact same hope when it says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is a heart surgeon. He's able to work in us. He's able to work within our wills so that we can will what He wills, we can desire what He desires, and we can do His will. So let us pray with all earnestness and hope that His will would be done. Because He can actually accomplish that in your life and in the lives of those around you who are not yet saved. If you're a parent, pray your will be done for your children. If you're a Sunday school teacher, pray your will be done for the children in your class this fall. 
If you have unbelieving family members or friends, pray your will be done in hope that God in His power can save them. Pray your will be done for us pastors and for for the elders and for the deacons. We need God's help to do His will. We need God's Spirit. We need God's power. We need in order that we can wisely walk according to His will, according to His law. We may all be God's strong-willed children, but none of us, no will, is too strong for God to soften. When we consider obeying God's will, we're also to consider it in light of the last phrase, the, the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're meditating on the perfect obedience and submission to God's will up in heaven and praying that earth would be more, become more and more like heaven is now. The angels and the saints in heaven do God's will continually. They do it with consistency, with fervency and joy, with genuineness. They do God's will immediately and completely. They are perfectly free from sinful wills. And so we are to do God's will as they do. Now obviously we can't do it perfectly, not in this life. But we are to see the saints in heaven as our mature, older siblings that that we want to be like. Now for those of us, like myself, who, who weren't firstborns, we were always looking up to our older siblings. We just couldn't wait to be old enough and, and big enough to do the things that they do. Right now my, my daughter just keeps asking me if she can ride a pedal bike like her older brother. She just can't wait for that day when she can do that. And so in the same way, we are to look to the saints in heaven to remember that, 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 that as we're going on this race of life, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of, of, of people who have already run this race. And they're now surrounding us and they're cheering us on. And we can look to them and be inspired to grow up, to be like them in their godliness. So that sheds a little bit of light on what it means for us for, to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now lastly, when we pray, your will be done, God's Spirit empowers us to submit to His secret will. God's providence in our lives has many bitter seasons. God wills for afflictions, for trials, and for sufferings in our life. And some of you have lost loved ones recently. And some of you just regularly are are going through and enduring some really significant health issues. And some of you have, 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 have these really important relationships in your life that are just growing farther and farther apart, no matter, despite the, the, the best efforts that you've tried for years and years. And so how do we respond to God's bitter providence? 
Christ, we have hope that God's Spirit can help us submit our wills to His will. Now, submitting to God's will, that might, that might sound kind of cold. It might kind of sound a little bit like, like Islam. Now, Islam means submission. It means submission. And, and there's a core emphasis in Islam to submitting to God's will. And so, how is submitting to God's will in Christianity, how is that different than Islam? Well, in Islam, it is often said that, that, uh, that Allah has 99 names. But not one of those names is Father. Not one of those names is Father. And that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. We submit to a God who is our good and loving Father. His providence for us is, it's not meaningless. It's not God's angry punishment just beating on us. Instead, He has good for us in the darkest season. He's loving us not only through the storm, but also with the storm. So we can trust our Father when we submit to Him. Our hearts can turn from, from fearing the future to expecting God's goodness to us. And this, can, this happens slowly in the midst of trials that we, we slowly in our hearts turn from fear to expectation. That's Christian submission. When we submit to Him, it looks like it looks like when Jesus submitted to himself to God at Gethsemane before he was arrested. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew it was going to be painful and shameful. He knew that he would receive the full wrath of God poured out on to him. But there in the garden, Jesus prayed, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me." Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is one of the most amazing things that Jesus prayed that we have in Scripture. He prayed that if God was willing, that he would remove this cup of wrath that it was about to pour, be poured out upon him. Just think of all the prophecies that were in the Old Testament. Everything that was pointing to a, a Christ that would be crucified. And so... At this moment, though, despite all these prophecies, Jesus is praying, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus did not want the pain of the cross, but he wanted something else even more. And that was for God's, the Father's will to be done. And that's how Jesus was able to pray this prayer without sinning. We can desire that we not experience death and pain, and sadness, and sickness, and tragedy. Those are good desires. Those are not bad desires. We can desire those things. But they become sinful desires when they become wrongly ordered. When they become our highest desires. More than we desire for God's will to be done. That's when we've sinned. When we place some things higher than God. So submission to God's will 
It, it looks like this. It, it, it looks like submitting these, 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 these desires underneath God's will. It looks like lamenting to God. Being able to express to Him how painful the current trial is. And to be able to express that we desire for, for God's providence towards us to change. For the sun to, 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 to finally break through the clouds. And then as we pray for that, we then pray, But not my will, but yours be done. We move from fear to expectation. We quiet our hearts. We wait upon the Lord. We content ourselves with the portion that the Lord has given us for today. And that can be so hard, especially when we look around at our other brothers and sisters who have a different portion. But we content ourselves. We know that our Father has given us enough for us today. We humbly look for how God is is using this present affliction to sanctify us. And we hold back our tongues from complaining and grumbling. Now these things don't happen overnight. But God's patient with us. He's he's a loving Father. And He's slowly growing us. He's slowly shaping us. God is loving you with this trial. There are other ways that we can submit to God's will. But one last important way is by waiting for heaven. When we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that God would help us wait for the day when God's will on earth is done as perfectly as it is in heaven. There will be a day when Christ will return in all of His glory, when heaven will come down and Christ will create the new heavens and the new earth and earth and heaven will be one. Our wills will be free to obey, unhindered. We will be at home with our Father and our family, never more to taste bitter providence again, never more to sin. So let's pray for that end. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, each one of us has trials that they're going through. And so we come knowing how heavy these things are. And as I I think of people who are sitting in this room in particular, there are some very dark seasons that some people are in. But we thank you that you have not forsaken them. We thank you that you are still their father in the midst of, of those times. We thank you that you are still good towards them. That your goodness and mercy will pursue them all the days of their life. We ask, Lord, that you would content our hearts. That you would help us, Lord, to submit to your will joyfully that we might grow in patience and endurance. Oh Lord, may your will be done. May we know your law, Lord. May we understand it. May we know our Christian liberties and live with freedom. And Lord, may, may we pray fervently that your will would be done. 
May we look to your hand for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done, for you to, uh, to, for, for you to accomplish your mission in and through us. We thank you, Lord, that you have not let, let, just left us alone and without any power to do your will, but you have given us your promised Holy Spirit. So I ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us here to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then in that power to do your will. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would come soon so that your will would be done just as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.